This program was first broadcast on Canterbury's access media station, Plains FM, and was made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Coming up next on Plains FM, the Shetland and Orkney Connection, brought to you by the Canterbury Shetland and Orkney Society. Played by Shetland Band Homebrew, signal 8.30pm the last Monday each month for the Shetland and Orkney Connection, produced by the Canterbury Shetland and Orkney Society and broadcast on Plains FM 96.9, either directly in Canterbury or streaming live globally on broadband, or available for three months after the broadcast via podcast on the website www.plainsfm.org.nz. Everybody and welcome to September edition of the Shetland and Orkney Connection. It is presented by the Canterbury Shetland and Orkney Society and is promoted by Community Radio Plains FM 96.9. The programme is broadcast at 8.30pm on the last Monday of each month and is repeated on Monday two weeks later at noon. How have you girls been enjoying the nice spring weather we've been having? Mm. It's been great, hasn't it? Yeah. But warm today. Lovely to see the Japanese cherry trees in blossom again and the daffodils around Hagley Park. I wonder if our summer will be hot this year like the Northern Hemisphere. A couple of weeks ago, Shetland broke its highest record for September with 21.1 degrees Celsius in Bolter Sound. Mm. Oh, it's, yes, it's definitely heating up. We had some record temperatures here this week mm. too. I know, mm. I know. Mm. Yeah. Stromness has recently had an ATM machine installed in the town. There has been some interesting comments about it, but the main comment is that it looks like the TARDIS. It's a freestanding structure and is about the same size as the TARDIS and also painted blue. There is no shelter, so if you want to withdraw money and the weather is not good, you're going to get wet or frozen, or both. There is also a telephone on one side of the box, but in the winter time, I don't think there'll be many long conversations. It's not quite the service you would get from a friendly cashier in a warm and dry building. Still, the cashier has probably lost their job and is saving the bank some overheads. If the sun's shining on the screen, it could also be difficult to read. So really, you can't win. I was quite amazed that they <laughs> only a, the bank wins. They had a telephone on the side. I mean, who uses public it's, telephones no, these days? Well, perhaps strange. if it's not working or run out of money, you can ring up. Oh, I suppose so. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Staff at Smitty Bray House in Orkney continue to go above and beyond to make the time residents spend there special. During July... Seven residents enjoyed a day trip to the island of Sandy, only made possible by two members of staff coming in as volunteers to ensure it could go ahead. All the residents had a wonderful time, with one lady, Kathleen, saying before the trip that she wished she could paddle in the sea. When they got to Sandy, 
a lovely local lady told them where to find an accessible beach. Kathleen was taken down to the beach, and initially she was worried the water would be too cold, so one of the carers took off their shoes and socks to test the water, which was not too cold. Kathleen then decided she would go in and was able to have a paddle in the water. The smile on her face was so big and she said it was invigorating. Staff said it's the small moments like these that make their job so special. Well, our thanks to all carers. They do such a great job. Yeah, they do. Yes. Everywhere, yeah. They often go above and beyond. Mm. Oh, they do, yeah, yeah. A three-year trial project which will see two new electric ferries demonstrated in Orkney in 2025 has been awarded funding. The three-year demonstration will see the introduction of one 12-passenger vessel operating a year-round service around the Inner North Isles and another vessel for 50 passengers plus cargo operating a daily service around Eddy, Stronsay and Westray. The scheme, which is separate from Orkney Islands Council's ferry replacement efforts, is intended to demonstrate and test how this type of technology would work in Orkney in the future. And I had this thought while reading this. If there are two or three electric vehicles in a household, and when they get home after work and all the cars need recharging, who gets the recharger first? Or can you have more than one charger at your home? If several cars are being recharged, does that make a difference to other electrical items in your house? Right. I have no idea. Yes. I don't know. I presume that you could have as many charges as you like. As long as you pay for them, yeah. Yeah, Mm. and it can't be much different to anything else that you're charging. Yeah, I don't know. It just just came to me when I was doing that article, yeah. Mm. Don't know. Something something that I'm sure we'll learn as time (laughs) goes by. The action group that is raising money for a feasibility study into the tunnels between the islands and Shetland seems to be doing quite well, with a group of North Yale businesses recently donating £20,000 to the pot. There is quite a bit of controversy about the cost of the tunnels, about £500 million, and that they will never pay for themselves. But you must remember over the next few years, it could cost £120 to £150 million to provide the ferry services at 2022 prices. Norway has invested heavily in similar schemes over the last 20 years. The tunnels are not of a high standard, giving few services, but they provide a permanent link which is not affected by the weather. Yeah, I mentioned Milford there because, you know, years ago you used to only go through on the half hour because it was only single way and you'd have to wait. And even now it's two way, but I mean, it's just bare rock. Yeah, and sometimes they have to close it because of avalanche. Yeah, I don't know whether the road's sealed or anything, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't at the beginning because I can remember going when I was a kid with my parents and we had to wait, you know, Mm. for them to get to the half hour. Yeah. We went through it not too long ago in a camper van, but. I was so terrified I couldn't tell you if it was sealed or not. (laughs) (laughs) Well, it's not that bad. You look down and you can see the light at the end of the tunnel. No, you couldn't. The weather was so bad, (laughs) there wasn't much difference in the light. Perhaps that's why I haven't been there yet. (laughs) Haven't you? No. Oh, Helen, put it on your bucket list. I want to go back, actually. It's very much worth the 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 terrifying trip. trip trip. Yeah. Well, this month, Orkney held the Orkney International Science Festival, 
One of the most amazing exhibits was The Sun, on display in St Magnus Cathedral. It really was an awe-inspiring 3D recreation of the sun, created by public artist Alex Rinsler and Robert Walsh, a professor of astrophysics. The six-metre diameter light artwork hanging from the roof of the cathedral presented data from NASA's Solar Dynamic Observatory with smoke effects to mimic the outer atmosphere of our closest star. Visitors witnessed 10 weeks of the sun's life in 12 minutes. As it did this, it changed into amazing colours. The pictures of it looked great, and it must have been something to see in real life. Mm. 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 This certainly was an unusual catch for the white fish trawler, a large whalebone. It was caught by the trawler Arcturus off Mucklefugger a couple of weeks ago and was brought ashore in Tulewick. It was thought it could be from a fin whale. Mm. Mm. Interesting. Yeah, it was a big. It was a big bone. Yeah, yeah. RSPD Shetland has unveiled a new outlook post at Sumbra Head. The building was designed to give birdwatchers an ideal structure, ideal viewing structure and also to provide easy access for visitors to watch the comings and goings of Shetland's incredible marine wildlife. Alternatively, people can just shelter and watch the weather roll in off the North Sea, as it can change quite quickly. And I know it can. I can remember being at John O'Groats with my cousin and my daughter, watching a snow shower coming towards us from Orkney. It was an amazing sight, this huge grey wall slowly coming across the Pentland Firth. So it did not take us long to decide to get in the car and head back to Wick where we were staying the night, but it was an amazing sight, just just coming mm-hmm. towards watching yeah. it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So a sheltered spot to, to to be in, to watch that would be quite amazing. Yeah, it would be. Yeah. 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 Great photography. Yes. Mm. Did any of you see the video on Facebook recently about sea otters? It really was lovely to see all the mother otters lying on their backs with their babies on their stomachs. Baby otters cannot swim until they are about six months old. They eat a lot as they are growing, about 25% of their body weight each day. When the mother goes out hunting, she lies the cub on a bed of seaweed. Otters use rocks to open shellfish, and it seems they have a favourite stone, and keep it in a pocket under their arms. Unlike other marine mammals, otters have no blubber for warmth, but instead have very thick fur, which helps them float. They can also close their nostrils when underwater. They have webbed back paws, which gives them power and speed in the water. Seeing the mothers floating on their backs with their babies on their stomachs, was so cute. Oh, it really was. It was yes. a lovely video. Yeah. <laughs> I haven't seen it. Yeah. Oh, gosh. Yeah. I'll be on YouTube, I presume, but, you yeah, know, it was really quite good. Mm-hmm. I love the idea of keeping their stone in their pocket. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> but I was quite surprised that the babies couldn't swim. Yes. They were six months old. Yes. Yeah. Yeah. They'd be getting quite heavy, taking yeah. on 25% body weight yeah. each day with <laughs> still lying on mum's yeah. tummy. Goodness. <laughs> Interesting. How did the Norn language become extinct in Orkney and Shetland when they were the heartland of Norn and were part of the Danish-Norwegian kingdom? This, things changed in 1469 when the Danish king pawned off the islands to the Scottish crown due to a marriage settlement. 
and this led to Scots gradually moving into the islands, bringing their legal system, religious religion, influential figures and language with them. The transition to Scottish culture happened faster in Orkney due to its close proximity to the Scottish mainland. Norn is thought to have officially become extinct in 1850 with the death of the last known native speaker, Walter Sutherland. Norn is still said to live on as a ceremonial language in the islands as it is used to name marine vessels like fairies. It is unlikely the language will be revived as Scotland is now occupied with preserving the endangered Scottish Gaelic. Mm. Which is a shame. Mm. Mm. It is. Mm. From Bleva, December 2003. December the 9th is the anniversary of the day in 1916 when Orkney pubs and bars were subjected to the most draconian legislation. Orkney had survived the first two years of World War I, with the population more than doubled by the influx of servicemen, and understandably an accompanying increase in cases of drunkenness. As early as October 1914, the closure of Kirkwall bars had been brought forward from 9pm to 8pm, but the Orcadians still complained of scenes of debauchery and drunkenness in the streets. Shocking. The Orkney Police Report for 1915 showed that 382 people had been apprehended for offences under the influence of drink, 208 of whom were handed over to the naval authorities. And so it was on December 9, 1916, that the Defence of the Realm Act introduced a complete ban on spirits and a no-treating rule. That is, drinkers could not buy a round in Orkney pubs. At the same time, the licensing hours were restricted to just four and a half hours a day, noon till 2.30pm and 6pm to 8pm. The legacy of these restrictions was to continue for more than half a century. Indeed, at the end of World War I, the temperance movement flourished and in 1920, strumless electors voted to go dry and ban licensed premises in the burp. Strumness was to remain dry right through to 1948, when the Strumness Hotel Bar was reopened. Kirkwall never went dry, but even in the capital city, electors did vote to restrict the number of licences to the extent that, in 1927, there were only two hotels with public bars, the Kirkwall and the St Ola. The Kirkwall electric electorate mellowed a couple of years later and in 1929 voted to repeal the temperance restrictions and to allow new liquor licences to be granted. The 1913 Temperance Act, which allowed this era, era of prohibition, continued in force until 1975 when the Orkney Parish of Holm became the last in Scotland to vote to lift the restriction on drinks licences. Even in Kirkwall, however, Legal restrictions limiting drinking hours remained in force right into the 1970s. It was only in 1957 that the Kirkwall Licensing Court and the County Licensing Court agreed that closing time in local bars could be extended from 9pm to 9.30pm during the summer. And it was in 1981 when Sheriff A.A. MacDonald overruled Orkney Licensing Board and allowed Kirkwall's Torvhoe Inn then the only public house in town, to open on Sundays for the first time. 
Mm. Amazing how things change, isn't it? Yes. <laughs> yeah. Especially when it's so light, late at night over there. Yes. Mm. Yes, in the mm. summer. Mm. Mm. Pepper Westray, or Pepper, is one of the smallest inhabited Orkney Islands. Around four miles long and a mile across at its widest, it is nonetheless burgeoning with history, boasting some 60 sites of archaeological interest. Here you will find the restored kirk of St Boniface, the remains of the medieval chapel at St Treadwell's Lock, the chambered cairn, typically not on Papa, but on the even smaller home of Papa, and the Knapp Hawa, possibly the oldest preserved stone house in Northern Europe, predating the more famous Skara Bray. The Knapp of Hawa consists of two structures connected by a passageway and would have been home to a family or families of Orkney farmers around 5,600 years ago. Mm. Gosh, have you seen that, Heather? Yes, I have been there, yes. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, one section, possibly the bedchamber, has a low sto- stone bench running along the wall, while the other, with a large central hearth, seems to have been a place for food preparation. Beds, shelves and partition screens can still be seen, and remains found around the site suggest they would have farmed cattle, pigs and sheep, as well as crops such as barley and wheat. Fishing would also have sustained these people, and their diet would have included both fish and shellfish. Pottery found there suggests they had links to Neolithic sites such as Belbridal in Aberdeenshire and Elian Dum. <coughs> yes, I'm not quite sure how to pronounce that name, in the Western Isles. <laughs> so as you stand in this remote place, looking at it as the sun sets into the Atlantic in the west, you share a view with people from 5,000 years ago who did not view themselves as remote or solitary, but as part of the community. And as I said, I have visited Papa Westray and have walked around the Nap of Hower. And we also went to St Boniface Church because a few years ago the Orkney group sent some money over when they were uh, restoring the church. And it was a very interesting little church because um, the pews were sort of in a separate box. Mm. Yeah, yeah, it was an interesting place, yeah. yeah lovely, lovely lot of history in one small place. Yes, the only thing is um, it put me off staying at youth hostels. <laughs> I'll never, ever stay in a youth hostel again. <laughs> oh, dear. It's another story. <laughs> yes, it is another story, yeah. <laughs> okay. On this day in 1967, the world's shortest commercial flight route started between the two Orkney Islands of Westray and... Papa Westray. The Logan Air flight covers a distance of only 1.7 miles, about the length of the main runway at Edinburgh Airport, and it can be completed in under one minute on a good day. Fancy. I wonder how much it costs. I don't know, but you don't get a cup of tea on that flight. (laughs) (laughs) Wow. Goodness. Mm. At the beginning of the 1800s, plaited straw bonnets were the height of fashion for women in England. The straw was plaited into strips, then sewn into a bonnet with ribbons, feathers and artificial flowers added later. In Orkney, the straw plait industry found a workforce already adept at working with straw. Ripened split wheat straw was first used, but was found to be too brittle, so it was replaced with unsplit rye straw, which made a superior quality of plait. 
In 1804, a company called Larking introduced straw plaiting to Orkney. As trade flourished, other companies from the south were attracted by local skills, hard workers and cheap labour. Plaiting could be a sociable activity, employing 30 to 40 young women in one workshop. The hands were busy, but conversations would flow. They earned their wage on a piecemeal basis, depending on the quality and quantity of the work produced. These workshops became a gathering place for many of the young men of the town, keen to distract the young women from earning an honest living. Those men never change, do they? The freedom of the social opportunity would have been great fun and did lead to unwelcome gossip and the morals and reputations of the Platt girls became a concern. Due to this, the workshops were disbanded, moving to outbuildings of the crofts. Here the young women could congregate and work together under the watchful eye of a parent. At first the rye straw was imported from England, but after some successful experimentation, farmers in Orkney decided to grow it for use in the local straw plat industry. At its height, the plat industry employed up to 7,000 women in Orkney and took an estimated £30,000 into the economy, which was a heck of a lot in the time. An average daily wage in 1841 would have been six pennies. The completed plats were washed and put through rollers to flatten them before being passed on to other girls outside Orkney who would sew them into bonnets. Wow. Mm. Mm. Mrs J Rendell of Stromness won a bronze medal at the Great Exhibition held in London in 1851 for her, for her straw plat samples. By the middle of the 19th century, straw plaiting was in decline and was affected by cheaper imports from China and Japan. It was widely believed that the fashion for straw bonnets was dealt a fatal blow when Queen Victoria, on being presented with a straw bonnet, laughed and put it on the head of her pet dog. Oh dear. (laughs) Not very queenly. We were not amused. Naughty Naughty Vicky. (laughs) The Rendell Ducot, or Dovecot, was built in the mid-1600s in the Orkney West mainland to house pigeons which provided meat for the resident family at nearby Hall of Rendell. The ducot here was constructed in a beehive style or cone shape. This sets it apart from other ducots as they were usually rectangle with a lean-to roof. You can see examples of these on the island of Sandy. The birds entered the structure through a small hole in the roof and nested inside. These ducots were built to keep pigeons, especially to be eaten in the winter time, when fresh meat was a bit scarce. They were considered a delicacy. I would presume they ate some of the eggs as well. You can still open the door of the Rendell building and take a look inside. Be careful though, as you may be greeted by some of the newer inhabitants of this old ducot. Mm. <laughs> Might be a bit of poo hanging around. <laughs> That's a yes. long time, isn't it? <laughs> 1600 to now. Yes. <laughs> Amazing. Mm. Well, here we are at the end of this month's programme. Be kind and look after yourselves. Cheerio for now. Bye for now. Goodbye. We'll talk to you in October. Hopefully. <laughs> if we're spared. <laughs> yes.